This program is made possible by the members and donors to the show. For details, visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from Jim Hightower, The Rachel Maddow Show, Slate.com, The Onion News Network, The David Pakman Show, Real Time with Bill Maher, and The Young Turks, with a bonus video clip for our Apple iOS and Android app users from The Colbert Report. Right after Republicans swept last November's congressional elections, Representative John Boehner, the new GOP Speaker of the House, drew himself up in a statesmanlike pose, faced the TV cameras, and dramatically declared, We hope President Obama will now respect the will of the people. Having spoken, Statesman Boehner and other Republican leaders promptly proceeded to stomp on the will of the people throughout the busy December session of Congress. A big majority of folks, for example, favored extending jobless benefits to the millions of Americans who are out of work, some four and a half million of whom have been unemployed for more than a year. Meanwhile, the public also was overwhelmingly opposed to the idea of giving billions of dollars in special tax breaks to corporate millionaires and Wall Street billionaires. Boehner and company, however, thumbed their noses at these clear expressions of the people's will. They tried mightily to kill the unemployment bill, even as they went to the wall to provide more tax giveaways to America's richest, most privileged people. On another front, three-fourths of the public favored the repeal of the infamous Don't Ask, Don't Tell policy that flagrantly discriminates against gays serving in the military. Where was Mr. Respect the Will of the People? Standing defiantly against us. He took the same intractable stance on the DREAM Act, which was backed by 54% of the people, and on the new nuclear treaty with Russia, which two-thirds of the people supported. This is Jim Hightower saying, Speaker Boehner, you see, only respects voter sentiment when they agree with him. Moreover, now that he controls the House, he will determinedly push the special interest agendas of corporate lobbyists and Wall Street banksters, agendas that most Americans oppose. But these moneyed elites have financed his entire congressional career. So when John Boehner tears up over respecting the will of, quote, the people, it's the special interest people he means, not you. I guess it's time I run for far away. Find comfort in pain. All pleasure's the same. It just keeps me from trouble. Hides my true shape. At 12.30 this afternoon, the three most powerful Republicans in the country walked into the White House. Uh, not the setup to an elaborate joke, although it kind of sounded like it the way that I said it right there. Uh, this actually happened 12.30 this afternoon. The three most powerful Republicans in the country, John Boehner, Eric Cantor, Kevin McCarthy, they walked into the White House. They headed straight for the private dining room, and they met for about an hour with President Obama. Here's a sign of just how much things can change in Washington over the course of a few months. If this meeting had happened, say, right after the midterm elections, who do you think would have the upper hand? President Obama had just been handed an electoral drubbing at the hands of Republicans, a shellacking in his words. Republicans were feeling very, very mandatey about that. Is that compromising? I have not going to compromise 
uh, on my principles, nor am I going to compromise the will of the American people. I mean, first and foremost, we're not going to be willing to work with him on the um, expansive liberal agenda he's been about. There'll be no compromise on repealing Obamacare. There'll be no compromise on stopping Democrats from growing government and raising taxes. And uh, if I haven't been clear enough yet, let me say again, no compromise. No compromise. We are here to show the Democrats who's boss. At that time, essentially the morning after the midterm elections, President Obama was arguably at the lowest point of his presidency. Republicans were very much on the rise. The Beltway Press was full of think pieces about how Mr. Obama would have to bend the will of the Republican Party going forward. If today's meeting had taken place, instead of today, if it had taken place on November 3rd, uh, we might have expected the Republican leadership to walk into that meeting with an agenda that just said, we crushed you and here are our demands. Uh, but today is not November 3rd. And today, what happened is Republicans came out of that meeting and they sounded like this. It was a very good lunch and uh, uh, we're able to uh, find enough common ground, I think, uh, to show the American people uh, that we're willing to work on their behalf and, and willing to do it together. We looked at places that we could uh, work together on. We did have um, a, a fairly robust conversation about uh, the need for all of us uh, to work together. What happened to all those no compromise guys from a couple of months ago? Those no compromise guys just shellacked themselves over on Capitol Hill. The Republicans in charge of the House have this week metaphorically punched themselves in the face so hard they hurt not just their face, but also their hand. But remember where this started. Day one of the new majority, House Republicans staged a reading of the Constitution on the House floor. Remember this? They read the Constitution on the House floor except for the parts of it they did not like and the parts of it that were on the pages that were stuck together in the three-ring binder they were reading it from. That same day, Republicans had to clean up their own self-inflicted constitutional crisis when two of their own members had to be re-sworn in because they missed the official swearing in. Turns out you can't become a member of Congress by raising your hand in front of a television, even though two of them tried. When the brand new majority made big promises to do everything through committees and with an open amendment process and all these other open rules, they ju didn't just break those promises once they got into the legislative session. They broke those promises with the very first bills they introduced. Then there was the promise that they would cut $100 billion from the budget this year. What they actually proposed is $68 billion short of that. Then we got the dueling State of the Union responses from two different Republican members of Congress. Then we've had the big message issue. No matter what Eric Cantor tweets about all of the House Republicans' efforts being focused on jobs, 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 Republicans instead have three different radical anti-abortion bills that they are moving on right now, two of which they have already had hearings on. And as their congressional leadership keeps gamely trying to get somebody to believe they are focusing on jobs, like they keep saying, the highest profile Republican members of the House keep going out and giving speeches like this. Some would have us focus our energy on jobs and spending. But as you attest today by your presence, you know, we must not remain silent when great moral battles are being waged. Let's start by denying all federal funding for abortion at home and abroad. 
which is great if you're Mike Pence and you want to be president of anti-abortistan. But if you are Majority Leader Eric Cantor and your job is to get the American people to believe that all the Republicans in Washington care about are jobs, 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 all our efforts are centered around jobs, then Mike Pence and all these anti-abortion bills that your party is moving on, they are something other than great. And if the messaging here were not bad enough already, consider this. One of the three big anti-abortion bills that Republicans are pushing right now gets at the issue of how to ban abortion, how to make abortion less available by raising taxes. Republicans would raise taxes on your health insurance policy if your health insurance policy covers abortion. So it's a tax hike. Maybe you guys can run on that in 2012. <laughs> This isn't just Republicans veering off message. This is Republicans lying in wait for the message, pouncing on it, beating it up, and stealing its lunch money. I mean, as you know, one of the earliest decisions of the Republican-controlled Congress is that they would take a week off for every two weeks that they went to work. This happens to be one of the weeks that they are working. It's a short week. They didn't work on Monday. But for the four days that they are working this week, Republicans scheduled exactly five things to do in the House. Just five things. Rename a federal courthouse. There's a South American trade deal they wanted to extend. There's something that's a U.S. out of the U.N. Don't pay money to the U.N. that the U.N. is expecting from us bill that they wanted to pass. It's an idea they got from a website they set up. Uh, they also wanted to reauthorize certain provisions of the Patriot Act that are due to, due to expire. And then they wanted to pass a resolution to remind committees of their responsibility to review regulations. That's the only one they actually wanted to debate this week. Ten hours of debate on whether or not they should pass a resolution to remind committees what committees do. This is not exactly heavy lifting. Republicans have a 49-seat majority in the House, and this is what they wanted to do with it this week. And so far, even with an agenda that looks like this, th this, is, this is the legislative equivalent of a human having a to-do list that says, wake up, and then says, go back to sleep. Even with a legislative agenda that ambitious, they have failed really badly. They did get the courthouse renamed, but everything else? No. That trade bill, they pulled it from the floor yesterday when it became clear Republicans did not have the votes to pass it. The U.S. out of the U.N. bill brought to the floor for a vote and then soundly defeated. The Patriot Act bill brought to the floor for a vote last night and then also <gasps> soundly defeated. They brought it to the floor under special rules where it didn't have to go through a committee, it didn't get a full debate, and no amendments were allowed to be added to it. All things the Republicans went crazy criticizing Democrats for and that they said they wouldn't do. And even after doing it that way, it's still lost. Not by a vote or two, but by 13 votes. Who's in charge of the counting? It should also be noted that this was not some organized Tea Party revolt against the Republican Party. Most of the Tea Party caucus members voted for passing the Patriot Act, including uh, their headliners like Michelle Bachman and Alan West. The dissenters that apparently completely blindsided the Republican leadership on this vote were rank-and-file, run-of-the-mill Republicans the people whose votes you're supposed to be able to count in your sleep. Then, to add injury to insult, after they lost that vote, after they lost three votes in 24 hours, votes that they themselves scheduled, there has been the added spectacle of poor freshman Republicans, like a congressman named Todd Rokita of Indiana, going to the press to explain that they were totally in the dark about what it is they've been doing in Congress this week. Mr. Rokita told Politico.com today that he, quote, 
didn't know anything about the Patriot Act vote until today. Nevertheless, Mr. Rokita voted for it, only later admitting, quote, in a free society, you have to be very careful as to taking away the civil liberties of the American people. Well, thanks to the Republican leadership, Mr. Rokita says he didn't know anything about the Patriot Act vote until the day of the vote, and then he voted for it, and then he's telling the press that he didn't know anything about it when he cast the vote on it, even though he understands that civil liberties are a big deal. Was that a mistake? Should I not have done that? This guy is a freshman. This is the kind of thing, Mr. Rokita, that your leadership is supposed to protect you from. Well, that's we've been in a majority of four weeks. Uh, we're going to have, uh, we're not going to be perfect every day. Republicans right now are not just off message, they are at war with themselves. They appear to be functionally leaderless. They appear to have no idea how to actually do the basic day-to-day -day work of running one of the branches of government. We should have had some idea that there was going to be a problem when they messed up swearing themselves in. Today's story is called the Do-Nothing Congress. So far, House Republicans are honoring their pledge not to pass any major legislation and gaining popularity for it. And it's written by David Weigel. There are small, loud signs on the desks outside of House Majority Leader Eric Cantor's offices. The Cantor Rule is written on all of them. It reads, Are my efforts addressing job creation and the economy? Are they reducing spending? Are they shrinking the size of the federal government while protecting and expanding liberty? If not, why am I doing it? Why are we doing it? Cantor is not the first Republican to describe his job like this. After November's election, Newt Gingrich sent Republicans wall charts with the legend, What have I done today to help create jobs and paychecks? Sixteen years ago, Gingrich was in almost the same position Cantor is in now. He was actually Speaker, not the number two Republican. His party had taken over the House of Representatives. It could make policy. It could actually pass any damn bill it wanted. There is an important difference. Cantor's Congress isn't passing as much as Gingrich's. It's not passing as much as the Democratic House of 2007, the one led by Nancy Pelosi. When Gingrich and Pelosi came into power, they came bearing thick legislative agendas, like Moses descending Sinai. Gingrich's Republicans promised votes on 10 items within 100 days, and got them. Pelosi's Democrats promised votes on six bills in the first 100 hours of power, and got them done in 87. The new Republicans promised much less. In December, Cantor announced that every two weeks of House business would be followed by a week-long recess. We had freshmen who said we should be here less, a lot less than we have been for the past two years, said Representative Pat Tiberi, a Republican from Ohio, 
who helped put together the schedule. In his first speech on becoming Speaker, John Boehner promised that the next Congress would move slowly. We will dispense with the conventional wisdom that bigger bills are always better, he said, that fast legislating is good legislating. This set up the argument that Republicans used over a slow first month. Inaction was preventing worse things from happening. There was no action in Congress for one week because of the shooting of Representative Gabrielle Giffords, but this only delayed the two-on, one-off schedule. Repeal bills were good for the economy. On Wednesday, they applauded as the repeal of the Job-Killing Health Care Law Act got a vote in the Senate. Senate Republicans have kept their promise, said Boehner. But the repeal failed, as everyone expected it would. When he announced the spending limits in his first budget as chairman of the Budget Committee, Representative Paul Ryan, a Republican from Wisconsin, said Republicans had voted to cut trillions of dollars in new government spending by advancing a repeal of the president's health care law. They had, but they also knew that repeal wouldn't go further. So why did that count? The answer? They're taking an approach to legislating completely antithetical to what President Obama proposed in his State of the Union speech. They don't want Congress to do big things. Government in general should not do big things. This is the new normal, and it's not how this stuff usually works. In power, Gingrich was captivated by a concept that he still talks about, pushing legislation that 60% or 70% of voters could support. This was the impetus for the $500 per child tax credit, a bill that required the CBO to calculate the cost of federal mandates, welfare reform, and, to name two items that died in the Senate, term limits and a balanced budget amendment. In 2007, Democrats wanted to kick off with supermajority support for popular bills, such as an increase in the minimum wage and implementation of the 9-11 Commission's final recommendations. This year, Republicans have kicked things off with repeal bills. There are no bold new ideas. There's just dismantling of Democratic ideas. And the result of this so far has been resilient Republican popularity. At the end of January, a Gallup poll gave Republicans their first favorable approval ratings since 2005, when their Bush-era slide began. Since the election, Rasmussen reports polls have put the number of Americans identifying as Republicans close to the number of Americans who identify as Democrats. I asked Scott Rasmussen why this was. The Republicans are helped by low expectations, said Rasmussen. Hardly anybody expects them to actually cut spending. The GOP is also helped by the fact that Democrats still control the White House and the Senate. You cite the lack of legislative accomplishment. Remember, by a three-to-one margin, voters believe that no matter how bad something is, Congress can always make it worse. That's true regardless of whether Democrats or Republicans are in charge. Lack of action may be a plus in some eyes. If that's what voters are after, they're going to have a fun couple of years. The first bipartisan bill that might actually reach the president's desk didn't come until Wednesday, when the Senate approved an amendment to kill a new requirement for businesses to fill out health care tax forms. Most of the rest of the legislative action in Congress is happening in two areas. One, budget cuts that Democrats, fitting comfortably into an old role, will decry as monstrous. Two, repeal bills, bills that would tie up federal regulators and other items that can't survive the Senate or a presidential veto. The forecast through 2013 is creative destruction.
I hope you enjoyed this show, but also consider it a valuable tool for not only aggregating, but more importantly, amplifying our view of progressive politics in the world. So if that's true, I ask you to support this work by becoming a member of the show at whatever level you're able, as anything from a basic leftist up through the ranks of socialist, communist, Satanist, or even the most reviled level of support, George Soros. I produce 11 episodes a month of fearless coverage on all the hot-button issues we face, maintaining a rock-solid schedule. So if that sounds worth supporting, please consider signing up to donate as little as $5 a month or even $55 a year. Members also gain access to bonus audio and video content that doesn't make it into the show itself. So for a concrete way to support a strong, progressive voice, please visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. And in Washington this afternoon, Congress attempted to pass a law but failed after neither the House nor the Senate could remember how to do it. For more details, here's Onion News Network Washington correspondent Jane Carmichael. Hi, Brooke. The bill in question is the Challenger Memorial Statue Act of 2011, which would allocate $50,000 to create a memorial to the Challenger astronauts at the Air and Space Museum. The bill has unanimous support from both Republicans and Democrats, but unfortunately it's been so long since they actually passed any legislation that not one person in Congress remembers the protocol for making a bill into a law. Well, Jane, you'd think as lawmakers they'd be passing bills all the time. Well, they introduce a lot of bills, but then usually they get held up in questioning the motives and patriotism of whoever proposed them. But did they just pass one or two bills last year? They did, but each time they had to go to former Senator Chris Dodd to help them through the process. He was apparently the go-to guy for that kind of thing, but now that he's retired... Well, why can't they just call him? Well, they did reportedly, but he told them, quote, I don't work there anymore and I'm not about to do charity work. At that point, several senators tried to go online to find instructions on bill passing, but then quickly became distracted updating their Twitter feeds with Mm -hmm. disparaging remarks about political rivals and checking Facebook to see if they had any new supporters. Well, it seems that Congress is in the middle of an emergency policy session to try and jog their memories. Let's just take a look at that now. As I recall, we say I, and then as no long as nobody says nay, the bill is passed into law. I know somebody hits a gavel. I concur. I also remember a gavel being involved at some point. Well, in that case, I move that we look up stores where we can buy a gavel. Let the record reflect that we have decided to figure out where we can get a gavel from. Uh, Mr. Chairman, I have a question. Uh, I think... Don't you have to tell me when to talk? Oh, right. Uh, you can uh, have the floor. Ah, good. Now, now, once it's ready to be passed into law, we email it to the president, correct? I don't know. We probably have to glue it into a book where all the other laws are. That makes sense. Wait, isn't there a library of Congress? Yeah, yeah. The book with all the laws must be in the Library of Congress. I move that we find out where this library is. Does anybody know? No. No. I have no idea. Dang it. Oh, it looks like they aren't having much luck. No, but they'll keep trying. Uh, Next, Congress will try saying the law on TV to see if that makes it official. And after that, they'll have all of the bill's supporters stand in a circle and shake hands with one another simultaneously to see if that works. Yeah, well, let's hope they figure it out. And remember, Jane, uh, Eyeliner can work wonders. Someone that makes me feel seasick Oh what a skill to have Oh what a skill to have So many skills that make her distinctive But they're not mine to have No they're not mine Whenever she looks I read the nearest paper No I don't care about the soaps No I don't care about the soaps Though I'm acting like I'm in an EastEnders episode If this is a rom-com kid 
Three quarters of Senate Republicans don't believe in science. When exactly did Republicans go completely off the deep end? That's that's my question. You actually have to go back. This sounds a little far-fetched. You have to go back to the scopes. I love that Lewis has confidence in the, the sh stories we do. Editorially, Lewis doesn't even support the show. That's great. <laughs> Lewis is skeptical about every story I bring up. Do you hear about what's going on in Libya, Lewis? This, this must be made up. This story must be made up. No, you've got to go back to the Scopes monkey trial of 1925 for a precedent to the anti-science mania that is sweeping the GOP right now. Then the issue was, should we be teaching Darwin's work on evolution in schools or not? And right now, there are a number of issues we're dealing with. Evolution and creationism is still there, but global warming is actually not necessarily the forefront, but it's a big issue in terms of these pro-science, anti-science debates. Then, in 1925 as now, a lot of politicians were tapping into this idea in popular culture that just rejects science as a basis for making decisions. And the chief prosecutor of high school teacher John Scopes, William Jennings Bryan, gloated that literal interpretation of the Bible trumps scientific knowledge. By the way, some people still believe this. I know probably not most of our audience, but there are still people who believe a literal Bible interpretation is, is more valid than scientific knowledge. We've interviewed some of them on the show. Just look at our archives. Yeah, we've interviewed countless, countless people like that. And it's not a few people who believe this. It's right. a very large number of people who believe this. Scopes was found guilty of violating the Tennessee law that prohibited teaching evolution. And his conviction kind of galvanized the anti-evolution movement for years. Politicians came pouring in. Uh, resolutions were introduced at the state level and school boards, setting back teaching evolution for decades until, fortunately, eventually, logic and reason and the scientific method kind of reasserted themselves in the culture. Today, Republicans are falling over themselves in a rush to ridicule the science that shows our use of fossil fuels is producing greenhouse gases that are warming the planet to potentially disastrous levels. This doesn't mean it is warmer all the time. It's still cold in many parts of the country. It can be unseasonably cold. It doesn't disprove that there is man-made climate change taking place. These findings, Lewis, were confirmed by the Bush administration before he and it left office. They were confirmed by the U.S. National Academy of Sciences and every other significant science academy around the world, not to mention the unpaid work of hundreds of scientists on the Intergovernmental Panel of Climate Change. But facts have a liberal bias, and research has a liberal bias, and we can't let that stand in the way, Lewis, of whatever conservative politicians want to do. Politicians do whatever they want to do, regardless of, uh, of studies. Regardless of facts. Well, listen, here's the numbers. More than half of, incoming Republic, of the incoming Republican caucus denies the validity of climate change science. 74% of Republicans in the, in the U.S. Senate now take the stance, as do 53% of Republicans in the House, for example, like Jim Sensenbrenner from Wisconsin. I personally believe that the solar flares are more responsible for climatic cycles than anything that human beings do. Or Duncan Hunter. Nobody really knows the cause. The Earth cools, the Earth warms. It could be caused by carbon dioxide or methane. Maybe we should kill the cows to stop the methane, or stop breathing to stop the CO2. That's valid. That's just as valid as science, Lewis. Maybe we should stop breathing. 
And then you have the likes of oil interests, many supported by the Koch brothers, ExxonMobil, and they're funding anti-science spokesmen, think tanks, and lobbyists. Exactly. So don't be confused when you hear a study among whatever group that suggests climate change is not something we should be worried about because the dollars going into that are, ver are coming from a lot of the same places as the dollars that went into the so-called clean air committees that were promoting, that were publishing pro-smoking research, saying smoking's not bad for you. The same money is behind these, ladies and gentlemen. The cigarette lobbies, the anti-government, uh, anti-national government provided health care lobbies that Wendell Potter told us about. This is all sheltering science and Republicans are buying into it. We're in Tennessee again. It's 1925. We are in the grip of the anti-scientists and their politicians. And we could easily, ladies and gentlemen, lose a generation in dealing with greenhouse gases. Yeah, it's not that really that um, the Republicans are buying into it so much as being bought. I mean, do you really think that three-fourths of them really believe. really believe there's no such thing as global warming or is it just in their best interest to say it's it's there's no such thing as global warming what do i prefer ignorance or corruption i don't know i don't know what 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 is better what do i prefer what what's more widespread in uh in the house and senate ignorance or corruption i would say corruption i mean really right. to, if you've gotten to the house you can be somewhat ignorant but you have to have it together at least in order to run it hold it together for a campaign mm -hmm. so you're right it's probably corruption that is more prevalent than ignorance therefore you're probably right a lot of this is probably not genuine belief This new Republican-run House of Representatives is looking a lot like the old Ethics Be Damned House run just a few years ago by the convicted money launderer Tom DeLay, only more so. Back when DeLay was the GOP's corrupt majority leader, he got caught hustling campaign funds from an energy corporation whose legislation he then helped pass. This flagrant cash-for-legislation exchange was so stinky that even DeLay's pals on the Ethics Committee had to slap his wrist ruling in 2004 that a Congress critter should not engage in fundraising, quote, that gives even an appearance that donors will receive special treatment. Now, fast forward to last year, when the independent investigative arm of the House Ethics Committee charged two Republicans and one Democrat with delay-style money hustles. The investigators found compelling proof that these powerful members collected checks from Wall Street lobbyists just before voting their way on regulatory reforms. Emails and other incriminating documents show that one of the eager check collectors even left the Capitol while the House was debating the reforms so he could attend the fundraiser being thrown for him at a lobbyist's home. He then returned to the floor to vote against the reforms exactly as his grinning Wall Street donors wanted.
The punishment for these miscreants? None. In one of its first acts this year, the new Ethics Committee merely dropped all charges against their delighted colleagues. In an Alice in Wonderland moment, the committee declared on January 26 that there was no connection between the vote and the cash, adding that no, quote, reasonable person would see even an appearance of impropriety in the exchange. This is Jim Hightower saying, excuse me for being unreasonable, but it appears obvious that what the committee has done is to set an ethical standard for this Congress that's even lower than the dark days of Tom DeLay. As an anti-consumerism advocate, I'd like to encourage you to shop less, don't buy things you don't need, and only buy the necessities from local, independently owned businesses. That said, if you don't take this good advice, then at least there's a way to shop that helps support this show at the same time. Simply click through to Amazon.com, just one of the major companies under constant boycott by one liberal cause or another, from the banner posted at bestoftheleft.com. Better yet, click through just once and bookmark that link to use every time you shop. Your shopping experience will be identical to normal. It will cost you nothing extra, but 7 to 8% of the cost of your order in soulless corporate blood money will be siphoned off and used to tremendously support the production of this show. Thanks for doing the right thing, whatever you consider that to be. I want to put forward a hypothesis here, um, a hypothesis that I realize nobody else is putting out there, but I'm only doing it because I can't really figure out why nobody else is doing this. Uh, the reason I'm doing this is uh, because for weeks now, I feel like I've been waiting for somebody else to say this, somebody else more likely. Uh, somebody in the Beltway Press, for example, who obsessively covers Washington. Uh, but so far, nobody has been saying it, and so I feel like I have to. I fully expect that this will be debunked, that there is something else going on here that I just don't see that will disprove my hypothesis. But we have been trying for weeks now on our staff to disprove it, and we just can't. So, again, I realize nobody else really wants to say this, but I'm just going to say it. I think that John Boehner is really bad at his job. John Boehner is the top Republican in Washington, Speaker of the House, third in line for the presidency. He is running the only part of the government that Republicans control. And I realize this will probably sound rude, like I am being insulting or attacking toward Mr. Boehner. That is not at all how I mean it. I just mean it specifically in terms of his job performance thus far. I think he is really outstandingly bad at his job. I think that everything he's done so far has, what's the opposite of the Midas touch? Let me just give you the evidence, and let's just start with today. Today, John Boehner went to RNC headquarters. He apparently had some sort of meeting there, and afterwards, he called a press conference. Clearly, he thought that he had something to say that was going to nail the president on the president's newly released budget. He was going to go after Obama. He was going to make headlines. He was going to score big political points today. So John Boehner purposely sought out the press. He gathered everybody around him, and then this is what he said to the cameras. Over the last two years since President Obama has taken office, the federal government has added 200,000 new federal jobs. Uh, and uh, and it, if uh, some of those jobs are lost in this, so be it. So be it. This, this is evidence for the um, John Boehner is bad at his job hypothesis uh, for a few reasons. First, uh, what he said today is not true. 
And while everybody should avoid making statements that aren't true whenever possible, if your job title is Speaker of the House, you should probably extra doubly, triply avoid making statements that are not true. Since President Obama has taken office, the federal government has added 200,000 new federal jobs. Not true. Total, utter, 100% bullpucky, actually. According to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, which keeps track of these things, darn bureaucrats, when Barack Obama came into office, there were roughly 2.79 million federal employees. According to the latest figures available, there are now roughly 2.85 million federal employees. That would be an increase of about 58,000 new federal jobs, which is not even close to what Mr. Boehner said, which was 200,000. Also, for the record, proportional to the population, the size of the federal government is at something like a 50-year low right now, just in case you care. But even, even without that context, John Boehner, with his made-up 200,000 number, uh, is just not telling the truth. But beyond that, John Boehner didn't just say something untrue about President Obama today. What he said about President Obama and jobs was that if Republican policies cause job losses, then, and I quote, so be it. So be it. Sort of infinitely quotable, isn't it? So be it. So be it. Maybe so be it for him, but not so be it for the people who are losing their jobs. If you are the Speaker of the House, it is bad to be wrong in public. But it is really, really bad to make headlines for having been wrong in public with a message that is 180 degrees opposite of what your party's message is supposed to be. John Boehner has now gone from, where are the jobs, to job losses? So be it. But this is, I mean, today is just the latest evidence. This is kind of the way it has been going for him as speaker. This is the basis of the John Boehner is bad at his job hypothesis. Republicans have been in control of the House for about a month and a half now. And it has been one disaster after another. It has been a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad month and a half for John Boehner. The very first day, the very first day that the Republicans were in control, on day one, there was the very well-publicized Constitution reading failure. You remember the, the pages that stuck together in the three-ring binder and all the other passages that were just left out because the Republicans apparently didn't like them? That was just the start. During that first week, there was also the swearing-in failure. Ding! Where two of their own members weren't properly sworn in, but they cast votes on the House floor anyway. That was embarrassing. Then came the Republican pledge to um, always assert constitutional authority for everything they wanted to do, right? This is this new rule. They would cite a specific passage of the Constitution for every bill they proposed. It was not true of the very first three bills they proposed. They said they would do it, and then the first three things they introduced, they broke the rule. And ever since then, they've just kept blowing it off. Just this week, House Democrats called out Republicans for still continuing to, to violate this constitutional authority rule that is their own rule and is brand new. Then there was the famed cut-go program, a, 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 a promise to cut spending for every bill that adds to the deficit. Under John Boehner, Republicans made this promise and then promptly exempted their very first bill from it. Under John Boehner, Republicans initially proposed, uh, promised that they would post online a list of members who attended every committee hearing. So you'd know if your member was doing his or her job and showing up for work. They made that promise, then they decided that they would not do it after all. 
And of course, there's the everything is about jobs, jobs, jobs failure. Under John Boehner, they have consistently promised that everything they want to do in the House is about jobs, jobs, and nothing but jobs. House Republicans promptly introduced three separate high-profile sweeping anti-abortion bills instead of working on jobs. Then there were the uh, dueling State of the Union responses. Right? Speeches from two separate members of the Republican Party, both billed by CNN as official State of the Union responses. Basic legislating has also proved quite challenging under John Boehner's leadership. Last week, Republicans, who again, they control the House, they suffered three legislative losses in the span of 24 hours under John Boehner. Three bills that they put on the agenda that they wanted to bring to the floor and not one of them passed. Probably their most high-profile blunder thus far under John Boehner has been the failed pledge to cut $100 billion from the budget in their first year. Under John Boehner, they walked that back almost immediately after taking office. Then they settled on about mm, $30 billion. And then after an emergency meeting last week, they pumped that number up to $61 billion. What they promised was 100. No, sorry, didn't mean it. And now today, more. This is, the, this is the kind of thing that Beltway Media supposedly loves, but so far nobody's really saying beep about it. Under John Boehner, Republicans pledged to bring open rules back to the House, essentially meaning that, that Democrats would be able to offer amendments on bills and they wouldn't limit debate. After breaking this pledge for most of the last few weeks, Republicans under John Boehner today finally decided to allow open rules. What they got was more than 400 amendments on their spending bill. 400. So far, they have gotten through approximately four of them, four of more than 400. And one of those amendments is a big one-finger salute to John Boehner from his own party. Mr. Boehner is one of the Republicans who wants to spend $3 billion more billion on a random extra engine that the Pentagon does not want. The fighter jet in question has an engine. This is a second extra engine for a plane that's already got an engine. Full disclosure, GE, one of our parent companies, helps make that engine. The military does not want that engine. They have said they do not want it. But John Boehner really, really, really wants to buy them anyway. And today, a bipartisan group of House members, including two freshman Republicans, just elected, they came together to tell Mr. Boehner, um, Mr. Speaker, you're wrong. Speaker Boehner's own Republicans, including freshmen, are revolting over him wanting to dump billions more taxpayer dollars into something the military explicitly says it really doesn't want. And he's doing that while he is trying to attack President Obama for wasteful spending, with $3 billion of inexplicable defense pork hanging around his neck as Speaker, hung there by his own party. Being the Speaker of the House is a constitutional position. You are third in line to the presidency, and you have a constitutional responsibility to conduct the business of the House. You have a lot of very sober responsibilities. In real terms, though, day to day, you function as the leader of your party in Congress. And for the Republicans this year, Mr. Boehner is the only constitutional officer of any rank who is a Republican. John Boehner is the Republican Party's guy in Washington. And when you look at the evidence, regardless of what you think about the Republicans' agenda, whether you are for it or against it, I think that John Boehner is bad at his job. There is one other way to look at the job of being speaker. One other way that a speaker can, be, can succeed, even if they can't uh, get things passed, and even if they're not good at message discipline, and even if they're not good at party organizational things. One other way that a speaker could succeed is just by 
sort of being famous, uh, being the face of the party, having enough personal charisma and personal appeal to just be a celebrity Republican and have people like you and respect you as a figurehead, like you for, for who you are and for what kind of person you are. Maybe, maybe he's going for that. I love you. I love you too. <laughs> no, Gippy, why are we such criers? <laughs> you know what? You could be Speaker of the House. <laughs> Things are not working out for John Boehner message-wise, legislating-wise, party discipline-wise, or what he's famous for-wise. The Bush family is openly mocking him on network television for crying too much. Is there something that John Boehner is doing that he's great at that I'm just not seeing? Suddenly I'm up on top of the world It should have been somebody else Believe it or not, I'm walking on air I never thought I could feel so free Flying away on a wing and a prayer Who could it be? Believe it or not Fantasies are for sex, not public policy. When you go down the list of useless distractions that make up the Republican Party agenda, public unions and Sharia law, anchor babies and a mosque at Ground Zero, ACORN and National Public Radio, the war on Christmas, the new Black Panthers, Planned Parenthood, Michelle Obama's war on dessert. Oh, for Christ's sake, she's just trying to get you to eat a carrot, not stick it up your ass. <laughs> <laughs> you realize that one reason nothing gets done in America is that one of the political parties puts so much more into fantasy problems than real ones. Mm -hmm. Governing this country with Republicans is like rooming with a meth addict. <laughs> you want to address real life problems like when the rent is due and they're saying, how can you even think of that stuff when there's police scanner voices coming out of the air conditioning unit? <laughs> Do you know what Republicans in Congress were working on this week? Two gym teachers named Senator James Inhofe and Representative Steve King introduced a bill that would require that all government functions be conducted in English. Because you let someone down at the DMV say C si instead of yes, and the next thing you know, George Lopez is hosting The Tonight Show. Yeah. <laughs> In Oklahoma, the voters there banned Sharia law, which is the strict religious law in the Koran. And who can blame them? What with their Muslim population rapidly approaching zero? <laughs> Did you hear about Clem? He stoned his daughter to death last week for missing curfew. I'm joking. About Sharia law, you see, it's a thing yeah, where he... Yeah, it's okay. We'll explain yeah. it later. Right. And how can you explain the fixation with acorn and voter fraud? Republicans are obsessed with people cooking up wild, non-existent schemes to vote, ignoring one important truth. This is America. No one wants to vote. <laughs> What's next? Jury duty fraud? <laughs> Washing the dishes fraud? I mean, the things that these people get exercised about. Sarah Palin is one of those leading the charge to get rid of Planned Parenthood because there's two things Sarah Palin is not interested in. It's planning and parenthood. Ah. <laughs>
And then there's the new Black Panthers. <laughs> right on. Look, Republicans, I know this picture from Election Day 2008 scared you. If these guys weren't trying to intimidate voters, why did they show up at that polling place deliberately black? <laughs> yeah. Good point. Loved it. And now it's two years later, and that picture still scares you. Look, that guy who drove up from Orange County just ran out. <laughs> but <laughs> it's time you understood something. Every black person scares you. Unless they look like Urkel, talk like Colin Powell, and wear Bill Cosby's sweaters, you fill your adult diaper. <laughs> but here's the thing. There are real problems. Climate change, loose nukes, debt, infrastructure, the wealth gap, our addiction to oil from weird distant places run by monsters that want us dead, like Alaska. Ah. <laughs> but NPR... It's not a problem. National Public Radio isn't corrupting anyone, and I'll tell you why. Because the simple-minded sheep who take orders from the radio are all taken. If I had a radio for every time you love me so, I wouldn't have a radio at all. Now I sit and waste my time. My room is quiet as a mime. And wait for someone glamorous to call. Radio, 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 radio. So then you go to John Boehner. Well, all these spending cuts are terrible. And it turns out uh, it might actually cost jobs. And now you remember, you're in your whole 2010 campaign on jobs, 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 right? And remember the we thing we showed you, and we they repeated a million times over. Where are the jobs? Where are the jobs? Well, when John Boehner was asked, "Hey, you know, your spending cuts, especially for federal employees, could mean a lot of them lose their jobs," they asked Boehner about it, and he has this unbelievable quote. He says, "Quote: In the last two years, under President Obama, the federal government has added two hundred thousand new federal jobs." If some of those jobs are, are lost, so be it. We're broke. The guy who won the election in the House for the Republicans, their leader, on the campaign of where are the jobs, we're going to create jobs, now comes into office and immediately says, if we lose jobs, so what? So be it. Unreal. Now, you might say, hey, well, you know what? The 200,000 job, federal jobs that were created, that sounds like a lot. Yeah, it would be a lot if it were true. No documentation on it. When they asked for a reference, where did you, you get that number from? Like, Spokesman had no answer for it. Made it up. Made it up. You want to know what the reality is? We have, per capita, the lowest number of federal employees now since 1962. So this whole thing about, like, oh, Obama and the Democrats and all this, now it's historic highs of federal employees. No, historic lows. <laughs> the, they are so, they make up the facts. They're amazing. And then they run with it, and then people believe it. And Fox News repeats it, and then other media repeats it. And oh my God, did you hear how many federal employees Obama added? It's out of control. Then if they lose their jobs, jobs, who cares? Just when you think the Democrats are bad, wait till you get a load of the Republicans.
John Boehner was sworn in as the new Speaker of the House, he tipped his hat to the teabag activists across the country who had fueled the Republican takeover of the chamber last fall. He almost choked up as he promised to, quote, give the government back to the American people. However, Boehner was not choking back tears. He literally was choking on the flagrant hypocrisy of his words. You see, the people he's giving the government back to are not tea partiers, but the rapacious corporate lobbyists who ran the Congress during the Bush years. Apparently, the name Boehner is derived from an ancient Teutonic word meaning business as usual. Throughout his two decades in Congress, the new speaker has been a reliable ally of corporate interests. In recent years, he has formed unusually tight legislative, political, and even social ties with a group of lobbyists for such giants as Citigroup, Coors, Goldman Sachs, Google, and R.J. Reynolds. Of course, most congressional leaders work with lobbyists, but to have them as your closest friends and social chums? Well, you just want to say, for heaven's sake, Johnny, get a life. These influence peddlers now form the Speaker's inner circle, guiding his legislative decisions. Even before last November's election, Boehner met in a closed-door session with a flock of top corporate lobbyists to help shape, quote, a new GOP agenda. Forget the Tea Party. No Tea Party operative is a Boehner insider. It's the corporate agenda that Republican leaders will be pushing, and to make sure that it stays on track, Boehner has hired a top corporate lobbyist to be his policy director. This is Jim Hightower saying, so, while Tea Party regulars are giddy with the thought that their movement took over the U.S. House, they were actually the Trojan horse. They delivered the votes to make Boehner speaker, thus allowing the corporate powers to move inside, quietly take over, and return Congress to business as usual. We've introduced the hypothesis on this show that Republican Speaker of the House John Boehner is bad at his job. It's not about whether he's a good guy, whether he has good or bad ideas, or even whether or not what he's trying to accomplish as Speaker is good for the country. It's about whether he's good at being Speaker. It's about whatever his agenda, whatever he wants, is he skilled enough to reach his goals? Can he do it? Is he good at his job or bad at his job? As Speaker of the House, John Boehner's the most high-profile Republican in the country. He's one of the only Republicans other than Chairman of the Republican National Committee, the very famous Reince Priebus, uh, who has a national position. Mr. Boehner is the face of the Republican Party. What House Republicans do under his leadership establishes how America thinks about Republicans heading into the presidential election year. And so under that kind of pressure, one way to be a good speaker, one way to be good at that job is to make sure that when the eyes of the nation are upon you, you are not caught out being really petty. You may feel petty, but try not to show it. Rise to the occasion. Members of your caucus may have petty instincts, but be their leader. Stop them from putting their pettiness on parade. 
Yesterday in the House Energy and Commerce Committee, they held a hearing that was titled The Consequences of Obamacare. That is not the shorthand nickname. That is not the shorthand nickname for the hearing. The committee actually put Obamacare in the title. That's like if, if you were the University of Michigan and you were hosting your big rivals, Ohio State, but instead of putting Buckeyes up on the scoreboard, you put Suckeyes up on the scoreboard. Ha <laughs> ha! Hilarious! Also, petty. House Republicans keep doing stuff like this. Let's have a hearing where we call it Obamacare. Even their bill, their repeal health reform bill, was not called the Repeal the Affordable Health Care for America Act. They called it the Repealing the Job Killing Health Care Law Act. Republicans report, their Republicans report about health reform was titled Obamacare, a budget busting job killing health care law. These are the actual formal titles. Suck eyes! Over and over again, they keep proposing or doing stuff in the House under John Boehner's leadership that just isn't ready for prime time. For example, Republican Congressman Aaron Schock of Illinois put forward a resolution to ban signage anywhere in the country that would identify any project as being funded by the stimulus. Ha <laughs> ha! Suck eyes! At the same time, you had California Republican Congressman Daryl Issa threatening to launch an investigation into signage on Stimulus Act projects. We'll not only tear down the signs so nobody knows what the stimulus is funding, we'll investigate the signs too. We'll subpoena the signs. This is sort of what the House is like under Speaker Boehner. It's like JV. It's spitball time. Another example, there, there are more than 100 cities, not all of which rhyme with San Francisco, uh, which ban styrofoam food packaging. You know how McDonald's doesn't even use it anymore? That's because styrofoam practically has the half-life half of nuclear waste. Its toxic components leach into the food it holds. You can't even find this stuff at McDonald's, but you know where you can find it now? At the house cafeteria. Because mean old Nancy Pelosi took away that precious styrofoam and the House Republicans made it an urgent priority to kill the biodegradable food packaging program. And they killed it. And John Boehner's press secretary cheered it this week with this tweet. The new majority, dash, plasticware is back! Along with a picture of styrofoam. Suck eyes! Woo! The petty parade extends all the way to the, how they're actually doing business, uh, the business of Congress. Secretary of State Hillary Clinton flew back from Geneva to appear before the new House Committee on Foreign, Foreign Affairs yesterday to answer questions about all of the myriad things going on in foreign policy right now. She was supposed to be answering questions, but under John Boehner's leadership in the House, the Foreign Affairs Committee instead just sat her there and fired long-winded questions at her and would not allow her to answer those questions. I feel strongly that uh, we're making an impact on Thank the Thank you, Madam Secretary, and I respectfully request uh, written responses as you offered to uh, the questions that you were not able to answer because I asked so many. Certain uh, organizations and individuals, we Madam on a Secretary, basis. I'm going to be a little ruthless because okay. we want to get all of our members in. Understood. Thank you so much. Thank you. I know my good friend understands. I try to help those who are... Uh, inside, GMU, standing up for Madam human Secretary. rights. <laughs> Thank you, Madam Secretary. I, I do apologize. So, Thank you, Madam Secretary. So it's important we keep doing that. <laughs> it's forced sterilization. It's forced abortion. Uh, I'm let sorry, me Madam Secretary. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> Thank you so much. Uh, Mr. Ackerman, the ranking member on the Subcommittee on Middle East and South Asia, is recognized for five Just minutes. Just when it was getting good. <laughs> Thanks for flying back from Geneva. We didn't actually leave any time to hear what you had to say. We're just, we're just going to talk on our side instead, Madam Secretary of State. 
So let us add this additional data to the John Boehner is bad at his job hypothesis. It is not yet a theorem, it is still just a hypothesis, but let this be open for discussion. One of the ways John Boehner is a bad Speaker of the House, one of the ways he does not represent the interests he's supposed to be representing, is that he has allowed the House under his leadership to behave in a manner that is exactly as petty as they feel. Having petty impulses, feeling snot-nosed and vindictive in your worldview, that is something I have a lot of sympathy for. Deep down inside where it counts, I am as petty and immature and vindictive as it gets. But if I were a member of Congress, I would expect the leadership to stop me from showing it every day at work. Suck eyes! Don't do that. Hey, Jay, this is Scott calling from Arroyo Grande, California. What, what prompted me to call in today was about a story about a gentleman, a basketball player from the B, uh, University of BYU, a gentleman by the name Brandon Davies, who was kicked off the team for breaking their honor code for apparently sleeping or having sex, period, basically having sex, which broke the honor code. Um, while I definitely don't agree with that, that that should be a punishable offense, he did sign an honor code at the beginning of the year, and he was kicked off the team for it. And I actually applaud you, BYU, for doing this and holding holding the standard that they that they had. And the reason I applaud it is because this gentleman is a you know probably their third or fourth best player. But what it's causing them to do is be a worse team and and basically lose money because of the position that they're going to lose in the NCAA basketball tournament. Without his support, they could still win, they could still move along, but the more they move along, the more money that school makes. And they've apparently looked past that and decided to kick him off anyway. Just wanted to bring this to your attention and let you know that, hey, while I don't agree with the honor code in general, I agree with the fact that they decided to uphold it and they're doing what they have to do. So long story short, thank you very much. Uh, donated my account on Twitter to you so uh, have at it have fun with it and uh, we appreciate it thanks hey Jay this is John from Omaha I just wanted to leave one more comment about Mumiad Abu Jamal and I think there's an important distinction to make between a rational argument based discussion and uh, a heated debate point just made out of uh, of uh, emotion to get a, to make somebody else get on your side. And I think the really important thing here to say is, if Amumiyat Abu Jamal is making the points based on facts and evidence, then we should listen to him. But if he's going to be like Glenn Beck and make it out of emotion, then there's no point in listening to him. So when you said earlier that uh, you you wouldn't play anything, or you sorry you would play something by. Uh, Glenn Beck, if he was on your side, I don't think you should if he's going to stay the way he is and continue from just an emotional argument. But if he changes to a rational argument and he's even conservative, I wouldn't care. I'd, I'd listen to him and maybe, maybe argue with him rationally. Anyways, uh, love the work you're doing. Have a good day. Bye. Hey, Jay. It's Max from the People's Republic of Berkeley. California. Um, I just heard the news about the video, uh, YouTube playlist and the like, and I gotta say, I'm pretty damn excited. I use the best of the left, 
uh, you know, as I, I gather you intended it, uh, to be that sort of aggregator. And, um, basically my Facebook profile is nothing more than a campaign to change my family's hearts and minds. And, uh, access to those clips is really, really going to bolster my efforts. So, you know, again, thank you so much. I couldn't even wait to get home to tell you how excited I am about it. So, uh, yeah, just keep doing what you're doing. And, uh, thanks. Bye. Oh, uh, P.S. Mamiya. <laughs> Out. Thanks for listening, everyone, and thanks to all those who called into the voicemail line. If you would like to leave a comment, question, or activist call to action yourself to be played on the show, the number to dial is 206-202-3410. I want to give a quick shout-out for Power Shift, big climate change conference, generally directed at the youth of the nation, although not uh, you know exclusive to them. That is happening on April 15th to the 18th in Washington, D.C. You can still register for the conference. It is uh, an absolute blast. I uh, went to the first two power shifts uh, that they've been happening regularly every two years. So there was one in 2007, another in 2009, and then there's this one happening in April. Uh, They're absolutely fantastic. I couldn't uh, recommend them anymore. I'm devastated to have learned that I have, uh, you know, a pre-existing event that conflicts. I had 100% planned on going. I even went as far as buying a ticket to get myself out to Power Shift before I realized I had the conflict and was, you know, completely bummed out about it. Uh, So, of course, I just want to do my part and help spread the word about it. Powershift2011.org. Check it out. Secondly, I want to continue to mention that I've launched a video version of the show. What I'm referring to as a pseudo video version is, is not a, you know, podcastable video version of the show. It's not an hour and 10 minutes of video. It is posted in clips on YouTube. Everything you just heard is available on YouTube. Each individual clip the audio is just the audio, but the portions that are video, such as the Rachel Maddow show, uh, with the exclusion of Bill Maher, because I don't get his sh- video version of the show. I don't want to go into details. But uh, anyways, all those things are up and available on YouTube. And what this really means, at the very core of what this means, is that all these things are shareable. They're really, really easily shareable. And that is the entire reason why I'm doing this. You know, like... Sure, it's nice that you guys get to see the video versions if you want. I'm happy to have that be a, a, a kind of a perk for you guys. What I'm really excited about is to give everyone a new way to help spread the word. And I'm not talking about me. I'm just saying, like, spread the word in the same way that I love collecting these clips and then playing them for you. It's that idea of, like, hey, I heard something great. I want to share it. I want to share this with you guys. Uh, I want you guys to be able to have that same experience. If you hear something on this show and you want to be able to share that, you don't have to share the entire episode. You can just take you know a single clip and it's really easily embeddable on Facebook, linkable on Twitter, you know, obviously send it through an email, post it on your blog, all those sorts of things. Really easy, really great. 
And so I'm really excited that that's a new feature of the show. Uh, it is absolutely permanent as far as I can tell. Uh, you know, I will be doing this for every episode that I post. All of the clips that are, that are available in the show will be available on YouTube with the exception of uh, The Daily Show and The Colbert Report. Uh, Viacom comes down like a ton of bricks on people who try to post those shows on YouTube. So I'm not even going to tempt them. So uh, generally speaking, the whole show will be available on YouTube with those uh, couple of exceptions. And so go find it, enjoy it. Everything, of course, is linked in the show notes on the website. You don't have to go directly to YouTube and like search. You can go to the normal uh, show notes as uh, as have always been at bestoftheleft.com. There will be links that will take you directly to, to uh, the YouTube clips. And then they're also set up in a playlist so that you can actually click through to the playlist of the show, hit play once, and it will actually play through all of the clips one after another after another just the same way they play in the audio version of the show. So now I'm going to thank a couple of members, as I always do, but I have one very special member to thank today. Uh, so first, I will thank the member who's not special uh, at all, the very ordinary member. Sorry, Tim. Uh, but Tim D signed up, signed up for a monthly membership back on August 13th as a leftist and has stuck with the show since then. So huge thanks to Tim for doing that. But now for the very special member, this special member, uh, Mara, I assume it's pronounced Mara, could be Mara, uh, signed up for a membership today on March 29th as this uh, show is being produced. And here's here's why Mara's special. Uh, she instantly became like listener of the year today. And, and this is how it started. A couple of weeks ago, probably 10 days, uh, she wrote me an email, like quite possibly the most classically brilliant email I've ever received. You know, zero gr- grammatical errors, impeccable logic, uh, everything about it was perfect. I agreed with essentially every word she wrote. Now the twist is that she was writing to uh, express her deep, deep offense that she took to some of the things that I said in, uh, in regards to the episode on feminism that I, uh, produced recently. Uh, she absolutely considers herself a feminist. She said she was offended as a feminist and as a liberal in general, by some things that uh, that came out of my mouth and were on the show. And so I know you're wondering how could she have been so against me and yet I agree with everything she said. And I'm going to basically leave that as a mystery because it would take too long to explain. But uh, just leave it as understood that I uh, responded to her um, in great detail, explained my exact thought process for everything I said, and today received a wonderful reply from her expressing her gratitude for my, uh, you know, clarity and, and explaining everything. And, you know, we came to a, a point of instant understanding. And as a show of support, I suppose, she signed up for a membership today. As, you know, here's just something about me uh, on a personal level. My biggest pet peeve in the entire world is to be misunderstood. For me to make an effort to say something and to be understood and then to have the recipient of those words misunderstand them. I hate it. I can't stand it. It drives me crazy. And so uh, I think very logically, the exact opposite of that is about one of the greatest, most satisfying things that can possibly happen is for me to explain myself to a person who is uh, 
vehemently opposed to something I've done. I then get to explain myself and to then to have that person completely come to my side and then even uh, go as far as to decide to support the show based on those feelings. Uh, it's it's about the greatest feeling I've had in I don't even know how long. And that's why Mara is the uh, listener of the year just for just for being, uh, you know, understanding and open minded and, and being willing to, you know, take an explanation and, you know, and take it and, and uh, you know, understand it. So that was fantastic. Uh, this, this exchange is just a very simple three email exchange. She wrote to me, I wrote to her, she wrote back and it was described by a personal friend of mine who was privy to the whole situation, uh, as the most productive and satisfying exchange I've ever had in my life. And I couldn't agree more. So that's going to do it for today. Stay tuned into the show, of course, between episodes by signing up with us on Facebook and Twitter. Get details about the show itself, including links to all of the sources and music used in this and every episode. All of that information is always listed in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from far outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast coming to you 11 times a month. Thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com. Black and white You took apart a picture that wasn't right Pitch burning on a shining sheet The only maker that you want to meet A dying man in a living room Whose shadow bases the floor Who take you out in the open door This is not my life just a fond farewell to a friend It's not what I'm like It's just a fond farewell to a friend I couldn't get things right